Hello, I'm Charlie Cesera and welcome to the Coach's Voice CV Spaces podcast. Each week on a Monday at 5.30, we're joined by two highly qualified coaches live on Twitter Spaces. That's where we dissect one of the most interesting tactical points from the weekend's action, as well as sharing coaching advice and insights with our audience. This week, we're joined by Aston Villa Academy coach Sam Hudson and Leatherhead player assistant manager Jermaine McClashen to discuss Brentford's win at Stamford Bridge, Christian Eriksen and the role of the number 10 in the modern game. Sam, thanks for stepping in. How have you been, mate? Yeah, all good, thanks, mate. Um, busy with, with various stuff, analysis work and, and academy work as well, especially as the season's uh, slowly coming towards towards the end with lots of Premier League competitions and, and different games or, and lots of travel to to kind of neutral venues for different Premier League tournaments and, and programmes, which, which are great. So, um, yeah, keeping busy, mate, and keeping well. Good stuff. If anyone listening in, we we will have a listener Q&A at the end. So if anyone wants to talk about another game, I'm sure uh, Sam's got his eyes across everything. We can help with analysis on that. Um, but I'm also excited to welcome to CV Spaces the former Cheltenham Town midfielder and current Leatherhead player assistant manager, Jermaine McGlashan. How are you, Jermaine? Are you well? Yeah, all good. <laughs> Thanks for the swift introduction. Um, yeah, been um, yeah, it's been a busy time for us as well at Leverhead, um, but um, rewarding as well. Uh, so yeah, all good at the minute. Good stuff. Still only thirty-three, if I'm right. Tell us a bit more how you got into coaching and your current role at the moment as a player assistant manager. Um, so I obviously um got into coaching through um you know I sort of was coming to that that sort of stage of my career I think when I sort of you know hit the thirty thirty age I was done my um level two and then you made for B so something I always looked at um and then I got an opportunity um from the at the time Ashford Town uh, Middlesex first team manager um to do the youth team the under 18s. so I was doing that alongside playing um. And sort of, you know, a foot in the door and sort of learning, learning about myself um, and and obviously that side of things with coaching and, and managing the actual team. And then, um, yeah, pretty successful with it, doing well, still playing, didn't want to quite hang up the boots. Um, had some life left in me and then um, got an opportunity when the uh, first team manager at Ashford moved on to uh, Leatherhead. He asked me to be, you know, his assistant. Um, I was at Maidstone United at the time, you know, flying, doing well. It was... Uh, I would have to obviously give that up because obviously it required me being there on a Saturday. Um, but the fact I could still play um, while sort of obviously learning off Luke Tufts, who's the first team manager at Leatherhead at the, at, at the minute, um, I thought it was an opportunity too good to turn down. Now, I'm fascinated to know about that dynamic of the player and assistant manager. So towards the end, um, when we have the listener q and I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about that. But thanks for joining, mate. It's, it's good to have you on. Um, if anyone is new listening to CV Spaces, um, please make sure you drop us a follow. Uh, you'll be notified every time we're talking to coaches every Monday at 5.30. Um, I know next week we're going to be analysing Liverpool versus Manchester City. So hopefully we've got two great coaches for that one. So make sure you drop us a follow to get notified for that. Um, and this CV Spaces has been turned into a podcast. Um, so if you aren't following us on all your usual podcast providers, uh, make sure you do that um, and you can listen back to any of our previous chats we've had with our coaches. Before we get stuck in today's conversation, I'd like to highlight some of our new content on 
the coach's voice. Last night, we did drop um, our long read with Charlton head coach Johnny Jackson. Um, and on the academy, we've got loads, we've got session plans, um, including counterattacks with overloads, defending in a low block in a 3 5 2, and a counterattacking from a 3 5 2. And that's from all different age range, from under eights to over under 17. So you can find that on the academy. Um, as always, and I've already mentioned, we tried to make these chats as interactive as possible, tried to connect as many coaches together and share some insights. So if anyone's got a question, feel free to join the conversation, uh, hit the request button and we'll get you up. And like I said, we'll have a listener Q&A at the end so you can ask Sam or Jermaine any question you like. OK, let's dive into the conversation then. Um, Jermaine, I'll start with you. What did you make of uh, Brentford's performance at Stamford Bridge yesterday? Uh, sorry, on Saturday. Um, high energy, high press, really aggressive in what they did. Um, you know, I was really impressed with them. Uh, I think even, you know, to concede, I think when they were obviously doing so well and, and the reaction um, off the back of them, I think the two strikers, the two centre-forwards were unreal. And I think um, they really give, you know, the Chelsea back line they kept them honest the whole game and I think they really uh, caused them a problem. I think a lot of their joy come from the work of the two forwards. Yeah, Tony and Bremo had a very good game, didn't they? Um, Sam, one of the kind of standout things was Chelsea went to a back four, which they don't um, they don't do very often. Why did, why did Brentford have so much joy against their back line? Um, well, when obviously you're playing against the back four and and you've got wing backs, then you have such an advantage in the wide areas. So any play around, um, whether it's on the transition or or through through a bit more sustained build up, you you get those success enjoying wide areas and often helps you progress a bit quicker and a bit easier from back to front using those wing backs. Um, so I think Brentford obviously have a have an advantage there. But any time I've watched Brentford this year, the thing I've been most impressed with is that like their recognition of when to play and build centrally because, as we touched on there, they have two centre-forwards who combine and work really well as a pair. And it's not particularly common, but certainly in the Premier League of the last few years where teams play two centre-forward, it tends to be the, the front three and the wingers coming in. So so that, I'm going to say old school, but the, the more traditional centre-forward pairing and then three central midfielders behind them, the, the recognition of when to combine and, and play more directly and hit hit particularly tone is very good in that first phase and, and plays working off him or then when to to skip plays out and switch it and, and hit those wide areas and uh, admittedly I didn't see the full game from from Brentford's perspective but from what I did see in terms of highlights and and the chances that they made uh, a lot of it came from like those transitional elements some from pressing high but some from I think it was the second goal that came from a really deep counter-attack and again, when to use the central numbers, when to penetrate centrally or when to skip players out and, and how they use, as we'll talk about later, Ericsson and, and the tens, how they use those in, in the build-up phase. But then more importantly, when they're creating chances, it's, it's been pretty key for them as they try and stay up. But but the, the, the most basic thing is that, that wing-back advantage that you can get against a back four, you, you can quickly overload with, with switches of play and, and that's where you get your joy. Sam, it's good. It's, it's good that you've highlighted um, Brentford and how good they were. From a Chelsea perspective, going to a back four, um, what what did you make of that? Do you think that shows kind of the likes of Thiago Silva, who's obviously one of the best central defenders in the league, might be a bit more exposed, or their wing backs 
they're, they're used to going high, so there's more space in behind? Yeah, potentially. I mean, yeah, you look at a lot of the centre-backs that, that Chelsea have kind of had, the they tend to be much stronger in, in a back three. I'd even put Rudiger in that category as well as, as a as a pairing. He's probably not as effective as he is as, as a third centre-back. And then you look at Chelsea's wing-backs, particularly Alonso, who's again one who, as a wing-back, when you've got that extra presence in the back line, defensively, he seems pretty consistent and OK. Whereas when you put him in a four and, and you lack that extra cover and that extra presence in the back line, particularly 1v1, Alonso is probably a player I would target playing Chelsea if they do go to a four, where you'd have to get at him either 1v1 with your wide players or your wing-backs, or certainly try and overload him in a 2v2 on on the other side to then get a a third-man runner in and around him if you can to create that overload. So I think, yeah, Chelsea might have have had a a lot of players and still do currently have players, such as you said, like Thiago Silva there, who potentially his age and his stage of his career might just benefit a lot more from that third third presence in the back line in terms of centre-backs. And you, you might even put Aspilicueta now in that category as well in terms of whether he plays wing-back or is that right-sided centre-back. He's another one who probably needs that extra cover in terms of a defensive presence compared to playing with a back four. We, have, we haven't even uh, touched on the guy we want to talk about, but Christian Eriksen. Um, obviously, we all saw what happened in the, in the summer and um, incredible to see him coming back in the week for Denmark. Obviously, he signed for Brentford in January. Uh, played his first touch, scored a brilliant goal for Denmark on in the international break. I think he hit the post in the same game. And then the second game, he captained the team, scored again on the same pitch where he had that cardiac arrest. Um, Jermaine, as a player, how how much do you rate him, and how kind of how difficult do you think that would have been for him mentally to come back and how impressed he's done it at this top level? Yeah, I mean, as a player, first and foremost, I've always sort of, you know, liked him. Um, he's got two great feet. Um, you know, he sort of reads the game well and, um, you know, when he pops up in pockets and, and he's, he's effective. Um, I always sort of compare him to like a De Bruyne, who, you know, I really buzz off. But um, for him to come back in the way he has... Um, Unbelievable! It's fair. It's like a fairy tale. Like like a lot of people are saying, it's um, it must have affected him massively mentally more than anything. And um, you know, sort of looked at some of his interviews about after it happened, and, and he's totally fine going into the game. And you know, that, that, how does that affect you mentally? You know, coming back. Um, but you look at even just these last couple of games. He's he looks, he looks sharp. He's you know bombing on he's, he's making late runs it's it's great to see and uh you know the quality is always there and fair play to him um to sort of come back and to be in you know in, in a top division like the premiership and, and to come back and do that and fair play to the manager to give him that opportunity as well because um for me i think there would have been a few that weren't you know quite sure you know are they going to get the same the same type of player back maybe not if it's if, if it's from a physical point of view but you know, from a mental point of view, how's it affecting it? Affected him? Is it going to be the same type of player? Yeah, I, I, I saw those interviews, and he looks, he looks focused. Um, it's a huge respect to what he's done, and fair play to Brentford for taking a chance on him. I think it'd be interesting to see what happens in the summer because he's got so much quality. Um, will he be at Brentford next season? I think there'll be a few clubs 
now thinking they wish maybe they they t- they took that chance. Um, Sam, what do you make of Christian Eriksen and has he adap- adapted his game to maybe be more effective at top level? When I when I mean by has he adapted his game from that number ten? I remember the Premier League era when you had you number tens like Musa Ozil and Christian Eriksen was one of those like Phil Coutinho. Um, do you think Eriksen's adapted his game? Yeah, definitely. I think if you look at kind of the clubs and the coaches he's played at, they've all they've all asked him to do pretty much different things, no matter where he's been. So he's been extremely versatile. Whether he's been like a single number ten, as you said, like like the Urzel type profile, always been um, when under Pochettino. I think one of the, one of the best Tottenham sides I can remember watching in that four two three one when you've got Eriksen, Ali, and Son as a three behind Kane, and you've got Dyer and Dembele. And sitting as the two behind them, and the different rotations between Ali Son and Ericsson. Sometimes Ericsson drifting wider, sometimes in receiving in the middle as a, as a ten. I think that was, I think that was great for his career because obviously it gave him a much more well-rounded profile as opposed to just that central number ten role. Um, and then obviously when he's played at Conte, he's played ahead of a back three with a predominantly like a five-three-two, which which obviously Brentford use now. So, again, that those skills and those experiences out in Italy will have given him, again, even more versatility to then come back to England and, and slot in quite nicely with Brentford with the way they play and not too dissimilar to kind of some of the stuff that Conte would want it into in terms of the versatility to break lines, again, to combine centrally, use the two centre-forwards, play off Tony like like he would have played off Lukaku at Inter. Um and then the ability to kind of switch the play and find those wing-backs. So I think that's the, all those different roles. And then the role that he's had at Denmark is probably probably more of the like the main man type. When, when he Certainly when he first broke into the national team quite young, he was pretty much the, the player that you give the ball to him as much as you can. Whereas when you're at Tottenham and you've got Alisson and Kane around you, you're not going to get it as much. And the same with Inter. So, so that Brentford role that he's got now might be a bit more similar to his to his Denmark experience, where he is the main man. They try and work the ball to him as as much as possible, um, and I think the another strength as well. I think where Brentford have, have really done well in terms of fitting him in his profile into their squad is Brentford are very good at set pieces, and Eriksen is a fantastic from from set piece delivery. So that's another little string to his bow that he's got that that is really making him shine at the minute. And I think you're spot on that a couple of teams certainly will be if he's got a short-term contract, we'll be certainly looking um, looking how they can fit him into to the squad next season if, you know, Touchwood that physically remains OK. That you think of Tottenham and Conte, you think that that would be a perfect fit there, would be one off the top of my head. I can see Ali, a Tottenham fan, listening. I'm sure he'd want Christian Eriksen back at Tottenham, especially uh, collaborating back with Antonio Conte. Uh, Jermaine, I talked about that number 10 position. Um, I don't know what you think. Has the game kind of evolved from having maybe a 4-2-3-1 and that number 10 who was more kind of get the ball between the lines and it was just in charge of kind of goals, threading balls through, but maybe not as dynamic as they are now. Um, what do you think about the number 10 position, how it's how it's evolved? And do you think there's there's place in the modern game for that? That um, it's difficult because uh, I think 
um, the demands on, on what the 10 is are a lot different. I think there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, what you're doing off the ball. Um, you're, you're looking at starting presses sometimes um, being in around it. So I don't think, like, for example, I think as Sam mentioned, like, Urezels, and I think he might have struggled at times at Arsenal because, you know, maybe it was... Uh, that people questioned, you know, what he was doing off the ball, whereas like an Erdegaard is a lot more suited to that role, um, playing in like an eight type position, if you like. Um, I think uh, for me, you got like De Bruyne. I mean, he's he's classed as your 10 and, and a lot of the top teams in across the divisions um, are playing a 4-3-3 system, which I think has had a big big effect on that position. Um, and they're playing with one deep line and, and, and maybe two just in front, which are your creators, if you like. Your Iscos, your De Bruyne's, um in, in, in separate teams. And, and they're being asked to, you know, sort of link up play um, from the left, from the right, um, and still be cutting off passing lanes off the ball. Um, and in possession, still being asked to break the lines and, and get in on a half turn and create. So um, I think it's evolved, if you like. Um, I, I don't think... You know, it's interesting because in, in, in the sort of team, we play sort of a similar system and, and we, we have someone that's more advanced, if you like. We wouldn't call it a 10, but there's so much that he does off the ball. Um, and I think that's really important now um, as opposed to just sort of being a lot less mobile and, and, and not having to do as much off the ball, but trying to, you know, more be in positions to attack and, and find pockets and create. I think there's a lot more emphasis off the ball. So it might be a bit of a dying breed in my opinion. Um, and I think that's that's where I'm at with the modern game, yeah. Some really good examples there, especially Odegaard, who's obviously playing tonight. That difference between him and Ozil and even, even Isco for Real Madrid, who um, five years ago, he, he was looking like one of the top players. Maybe he hasn't been able to adapt as well as some players. And you mentioned Kevin De Bruyne there. Sam, one one person who might have had a an impact in this number 10 role, but Pep Guardiola, how do you see how he's converted certain players from potentially a number 10 into maybe a more dynamic, if you like, some people might call them eights now? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, with Pep's obviously Stalin and his, his ideas that he plays with those two eights that are, quite wide and quite closely connected to to the wingers and, and the wingers providing the width. So in terms of play, play, player profile, there's a lot of players over the years that he's had. And obviously De Bruyne is probably the best example of that, where years ago he might have been the, the defined 10, but his slightly wider position in them inside channels, the player profile is very similar, but it's just slightly wider. It's now more connections with the winger and the, the fullback. Um, I think what Jermaine was saying then about how the 10 is kind of that sort of half dying out is pretty much spot on because I know when I first started coaching about probably about a decade ago, there was zone 14, like the area ahead of the two centre-backs was basically your key space to find. And that, that defensive midfield role, like the Makaleli role, was basically brought in to stop that. So so the, those number 10 players that want to receive ahead of centre-backs find it really difficult because you've got a single pivot in front and then that's gone to a double pivot. So that area where a number 10 would operate has probably declined because more teams use a double pivot. So it's it's doubly protected, literally. Um, so those number 10 profiles, basically they either disappear and, and fade away, like like an Ozil kind of has. And, and, and as Jermaine said, part of his has been the out-of-possession side. But if they are going to stay in the game, then they're going to 
been moulded into those number eight profiles. And you say so you look at like a, a Kevin De Bruyne, who's probably not that dissimilar from Ericsson in terms of like his vertical nature of his game as a number eight. And De Bruyne obviously is probably the best in the world at crossing from that inside position, which is slightly unique to him. But then you can go into players like David Silva, Bernardo Silva, Foden when he's used there, Gundogan, their ability to receive and break lines and connect and slide the players in behind and not necessarily cross as much like De Bruyne does. But that that 10 profile is almost now kind of widened to instead of sliding a, a centre forward through the centre back, you're sliding in a winger or you're sliding in an overlapping fullback um, or you're cutting back inside or you're drifting across to lose the, the 10 marker, you now uh, sorry to lose your centre-back marker as the 10 you're now probably losing one of the pivot players as, as your opponent to try and get on the ball so, you know, with Pep using those eights quite wide it's, it's, it's been really interesting since, especially since he's come to England where um, you know, the, the ability of, of players to, to receive and break forward and combine has been kind of merged with his positional play and his ideas of whether it's the wingers staying out or the nine dropping in. But those number eights are, are absolutely key to his his style and his play. And De Bruyne, as we said, is probably the best example of that. Really interesting stuff there, especially the kind of how the formations have evolved and the McAuley role and the, the pivots maybe eliminating a number 10. Um, Jermaine, you talked about the, um, the player that you're working with at the moment that number 10 for any maybe players listening or coaches who are looking for this kind of player what what do you think are the key attributes for number 10 or like Sam was saying maybe a modern more dynamic number 8 I think it's the um, the modern day is the understanding of off the ball um, you know um, all good sort of having that creativity, but I think it's so important with, um, you know, that shape off the ball and sort of where you are, how you connect to the midfield. So you're in a position to maybe pick up seconds or, or nullify their attacks. Um, as, as Sam said, the deep lion midfielder occupying him, asking the question going the other way, but getting yourself in. So, um, and we sort of, you know, with the way we play, um, that 10 has to be able to, you're almost half asking like a bit of a box to box. Um, like you say, your deep line and your two, your two eights, if you like, um, and it's that high energy. So again, for me, I think the tens with like, where, where it would be like your Urzels and that, and so I think it's a dying breed because of, you know, how, how systems are and, and, and how teams are finding ways to, uh, nullify that as well. So I think you've got to have more strings to your bow. Um, and be willing to even go and behind at times. I think you're seeing a lot of third man runs from tens. I think um I think Ericsson's goal against Chelsea, um, you know, he was he you know, he was the furthest man forward and he's bombing on and you know, there's they're looking at highlights of him being quite deep and, and how well he's done to get back in and clear ball. So there's so much more and I think there's a lot more strings to your bone now to uh, have an effect on the game because, you know, tens seen as a luxury position. Um I think that's coming out of it now a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. Said about the third man runs. Um, I think it was Fatali Yenot's second goal was a lovely move between uh, Bueno and Tony, and Yenot made that third man run and slotted it home. So again, you can see that progression from that midfield player. Um, Sam, one thing that I also wanted to ask in terms of number tens is you're now seeing two number tens in some teams, Chelsea, Tottenham in particular, playing. A three-four-two-one. 
which is quite different to a tr- traditional way they operate. And you're having players like Sun, who played brilliantly yesterday alongside Kane dropping deep. But what do you make of the difference between how Conte and Tuchel have been using tens? Yeah, so I guess they're kind of uh, operating in, in similar areas where, where a winger might cut inside with the ball. So like a Salah or, or Mane or, like you said, Son. Instead, they're starting inside a bit earlier, so they're probably receiving to feet more compared to driving inside. Um, and and you look at the kind of pro- profiles that that Tottenham have in and around Kane, and obviously Kane's ability to drop and link the play. Um, I, I watched the game yesterday, and he's just showcasing how he seems to be getting better every season at that dropping and, and connecting with with those tens. Um, whether that's through kind of good coaching that he's had with, with, the, with the managers had recently, but um, you know credit to him that he's, he's evolving his game as well, while still not, not necessarily like reducing his, his goal threat because obviously you want Kane in there around the box as much as you can because he's probably amongst the top two or three finishers in the world, so you'd want him up there as long as you can. But that connection into those, so that's Son, Bergwijn, Kulusevski, um, more kind of penetrative and dribblers and runners with the ball and runners off the ball. To running behind is probably a bit of a different profile to the, the Chelsea tens, where you've got a, a ZH amount, um, or, or if you've got uh, a Kai Havertz might might run forwards off the ball as well, but he's probably a bit more of an aerial target compared to the top Werner. Players. Sorry, Werner played as one of them against Brentford. Yeah, so, so there's there's your the link a little bit then to towards that the, the, the Tottenham. Um, style and obviously a lot's been made around Werner since he's come to England and why he's not potentially been as successful um, and if you looked at when he was successful in Germany in terms of his goal threat he was basically running forwards in the central spaces a lot on the transition but even after build-up he was still running forward through the middle so putting Werner as the 10 might might give him that that success and that platform to then kick on compared to Certainly, when he was used, um, when he first came as kind of one of those wider players, that that's not really his profile in terms of being successful. So, uh, I think um, Jermaine touched on it earlier about the versatility and, and particularly like the running beyond element of the tens. So, as those two in, like you say, the like the three four two one, um, you're going to have to add elements of running beyond through the middle because you've only got one centre forward, and your wing backs are are holding the whip for the most part. Um, something that I've been impressed with Chelsea under Tuchel, to be fair, has been, uh, it's probably the first time I've ever seen consistently that wing-backs rotate inwards with the 10. So those profiles of like your Mounts, your Ziyech, your Havertz, moving wide to get the wing-backs then be, almost becoming default number 10s. And I think at the start of the season, that's probably why you saw Rhys James and Alonso and Chilwell were pretty much Chelsea's top scorers at the start of the season. Um, so those little rotations has been something quite new in terms of a 10 and a wing-back. And uh, if we're talking about accessing your 10s as much as possible, like we mentioned with Ericsson when he plays for Denmark and now Brentford and trying to get them on the ball as much as you can, with that that's three four two one, then you can create quite nice central overloads. If, if the other team has a three or even a two, then you've got two 10s and you've got two deeper. So obviously Chelsea have Kind of two of Jorginho, Kante, and Kovacic. Tottenham might have two of um, got Skip, Winks, uh, Hoiberg. Um, I feel like I'm missing one more in there. Um, 
but you can get those central overloads to then again get the tens on the ball and depending on their profile and, and how they connect and combine, you can get them involved in and around that, that single centre forward. Yeah, great stuff. Um we've got we've got some coaches listening in, so we want to share some advice um and some tips. So Jermaine, I don't know if you've got any preferred drills or sessions that you can recommend or suggest that could help. Um, trying to play with this new modern number 10? Um, sort of. I mean, what we do, um, we we'll sort of have it as, you know, whether we're doing sort of a possession, a directional type thing, we'll have um, a magic man or a floater, if you like, just to encourage um, our 10, if you like, to, to get on the ball. Um, so he's obviously creating for both sides, um, you know, sort of putting an emphasis of having to play through him. And it's obviously given you know, the 10, you know, license to sort of roam, get in and around it and always try and link the play. Um, so we sort of do things like that. Um, and we'll probably restrict these touches because I think, again, and, and I'm sure Sam will know, um, you know, when you do pick it up in them sort of positions, advances, you know, you've got to you sort of have a picture um, and sort of get in positions to sort of um, execute uh, quite early. So we'll, we'll put little restrictions in that. Uh, the other one we do is sort of, again, We'll have sort of a big circle, sort of sort of keep ball, and then we'll have an area where you can get a point from trying to find your ten that that is is in a little box in the middle, and you've got to try and play it through that way. So there's loads of little things that we've we've sort of implemented, but um, again, you know, it's it's one of those where the modern day ten, if you like, you want him to be doing the other side of the things as well. So that's more just in possession. We'll be working there and and then we sort of get him involved in the units off the ball and, and how do we connect and how we want it to look uh, when we're defending. Nice, no, good stuff. And Sam, I'm putting you on the spot a bit here, but um, Jermaine has done an in-possession one for number 10s. you recommend anything out of possession? Yeah, I guess it's, um, like Jermaine said, quite a lot so far. The, the 10s are pretty key in, in how you press and if you're not pressing, you're setting up in more of a, a block um, that they're still massively important because I'm I'm always interested in teams that say they play in a four-two-three-one-four-two-three or whatever when they're attacking, but then they might defend with two up front. So again, whether they're high pressing or they're, they're defending deeper, how and what are the triggers for that number ten to push forward and position himself alongside the nine, and then basically the the coaching points that you'd work with with a ten would be exactly the same as any player in the front front lines that that are pressing. Um, so recognising key triggers to press such as a bad pass bad touch players are off balance you've got an overload they're facing their own goal you've locked them towards the touchline um, they're quite generic ones in, in terms of a press and, and, and I guess the timing of the, the 9 and the 10 how they press as individuals because they'll if the presses are 2 and they're not connected then they'll just get played around and, and they've wasted their energy or if they sit off completely then you almost given the advantage for the other team to start building centrally. So as that nine and ten, it, it's like um, like two pivots where one pushes forward and the other drops. It's it's that kind of mechanism in terms of movements where the nine might jump and the ten has to drop and cover, and then as the ball moves across, the ten jumps and the nine comes back. So that that pulley system where one jumps and one screens is is, is pretty key. So whether you literally do kind of a 4v4, 5v5 in, in terms of a practice and you can get that one jumps, one covers and vice versa and then you could even layer that into the 11v11 game 
um, is, is pretty important because you know you can't have any passengers out of possession anymore, and certainly in the top leagues, and the amount of distance that that, that number ten has to cover uh, in terms of running distance in games is uh, I obviously don't have the data to hand, but I'm sure now compared to a few years ago, it's a lot higher. Um, so I think that's important that physically, obviously, players can do it and they're exposed to to recognising those key triggers because that's obviously the main part of pressing is recognising when to change that speed of press and when to potentially go from a block to a bit more of a press or kind of reduce the press. We've not got a chance to win it. We've pressed for 8, 10, 12 seconds, whatever it is. Realistically, we're not going to win it back. So let's condense, let's get compact and, and we'll go as more of a block. So that, that communication element between the 9, the 10 and then the depending on what you've got behind you, whether it's your wingers or your centre mids or whatever, that that's pretty important. And then, like with all defending and out of possession topics, it's all about distance management. So making sure that the the front two aren't miles away from the midfield four, who aren't miles away from them, the next midfield four or back five or whatever you've got. So those managing distances are really important. Um, and just like I would when working with tens in terms of their positioning, doing like grid work and zone work is pretty useful. And then you can flip that round for out of possession as well, covering. So if you split the pitch going vertically into into three as a defending principle, say, can we fill two out of the three zones going from top to bottom? Or can we fill, uh, if you split it three zones horizontally, can we fill two zones going top to bottom? So you can use kind of lines and grid work in possession, but then you can also do that for managing your distances out of possession. Brilliant. Loads of great um, examples there. Thank you, guys. Um, okay, we're going to move on to the listener Q&A shortly. So uh, everyone listening, feel free to put your request in, get a chance to speak to two top coaches. Um, so, yeah, get your questions in. But before we get to that, I just wanted to remind everyone about the CB Academy, which is our very own coach education platform. It's aimed at all coaches uh, levels at Sorry, it's aimed at coaches at all levels of the game and it helps them develop through premium coach-focused content delivered by a growing network of elite academy and grassroots coaches. And we have got a special offer on for anyone who isn't um, on the CB Academy yet, uh, but you can get 50% off your first month. All you need to do is use a discount code CV Spaces um, when you get to the checkout point. So make sure you check out CV Academy. Um, if you're a coach and interested to see some really good content, we have got um, a Lee Johnson, former Bristol City and Sunderland head coach. He's doing a webinar that's straight after Nathan Jones's um, coaching webinar, which is brilliant. That's live on CV Academy at the moment. Um, and we also have something special. Uh, we were filming at Liverpool's training ground last week. So we're really excited. Um, we've, we're really excited to show everyone what we've what, what content we filmed at Liverpool. Um, okay, let's get to some questions. Um, it looks like a pretty shy audience. So, Jermaine, I just wanted to ask you and get a bit more detail about your role. What what what's a day to day? What's a daily routine like for a player, assistant manager, and how how does it differ from just being a player? Um. So you sort of obviously you you're looking at you know opposition through the week. Um, you're touching base with the manager, the management team, if you like, um, about you know what we're looking to do based on the opposition that week. Um, 
from the transfer point of view, you know, it's agents, it's all the in-betweens, the stuff that I was on the other end of um, I'm now involved in. Um, so um, there's that. And then obviously looking after myself to make sure, you know, I'm available to, to, to play. So I've got to obviously look after myself in that department as well. Um, so it's getting that balance. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll be totally honest, it's a little bit difficult at first, but I think I'm starting to... Um, you know, sort of manage it a bit better. And like I say, the manager that's sort of brought me in um, alongside him has, has uh, been brilliant with that and been a bit patient with me as well, um, which I've needed because I'm still learning. Um, but like I say, it's been brilliant. Um, and I've enjoyed it. How, how do you, how does it work in terms of on the grass stuff? Do you take uh, many sessions or and do you sit back to observe or... And how involved are you in actually being involved as a player on the sessions? Um, I'm taking sessions. Uh, we're sort of leaning on each other, so um, we'll mix it up. You know, the gaff will lead um, some sessions and I'll sort of obviously, you know, be by his side and vice versa. Um, I'll get involved here, here and there. Um, but again, I'll do a lot outside of it in terms of sort of, you know, conditioning myself. Um to make sure I'm obviously available. I won't play as much, um, but ready to be called upon as well. So, yeah, I am sort of <laughs> really hands-on in terms of getting involved in sessions um, and taking them. Uh, so there's that element as well. Um, but like I said, it's been it's been really good. And uh, it's just getting that, that balance, uh, taking the emotion out of it at times as a player, which I still have because, again, I'm still, you know, quite fresh in that, in that area in terms of being playing. And then sort of getting your manager hat, hat on and, and looking at it from a different perspective, maybe looking at the positives from a game that, you know, I might not, we might not have played as well in, et cetera, that sort of thing. No, fair play to you. I think it's so commendable doing it early on and the experience that you're gathering now is going to be um, so good. But have you got any kind of overall ambitions? Are you looking to just continue what you're doing, coaching and is that something that you're really passionate about and what you want to do eventually be a head coach for a team? Um, yeah, it's interesting you ask it because, uh, you know, when I was sort of playing at probably a higher level, it never really you know, appealed to me management. Um, you know, I played under loads of different types of managers, coaches with different philosophies, different styles. And I never sort of uh, wanted to get that hat on because, you know, there was loads of things I didn't agree with, uh, maybe some player management, etc. But now... Um, and sort of being involved in this side and it's something I'm I'm quite passionate about and I feel it's probably because I'm getting to that stage in my career where legs ain't as legs are going a little bit. I'm starting to listen to my body. So my passion now is the other side of the game. So I think it is timing. So yeah, to answer your question, yeah, definitely. Um I'll be looking I'll be looking to at some stage go on and, and be a head coach. Um but in the role I am I think it's perfect for me. Um I've you know done it from youth team to you know, under Luke Tufts at Leverhead, who's um, obviously someone I'm learning loads off and he's he's done very well. Um, and uh, I guess when I'm ready, um, if an opportunity comes, then then we'll see. But um, I've got loads to learn. It's, it's like going from a senior pro to, you know, sort of being the one that everyone leads on to almost being a bit of a baby in the game and, and, and learning the trade. No, it's been really interesting and great talk to you today. So thank you for your time. We'll be keeping a, a keen eye on uh, how Leverhead get on in your career personally. So thanks for that. Cheers. Um, Sam, is there, have you got anything coming up? Any any books or anything you wanted to 
promote while we've got you in? Uh, definitely no more books now. I think that's, uh, <laughs> I think it's definitely one and done, certainly for the time being. Um, but yeah, just keeping busy, obviously, with, as I said earlier, the, the kind of Premier League schedules um, from a youth perspective is, is ramping up in terms of the, the events that you have to qualify for are now, um, are now coming up in, in April and May. So there's quite a few. We've got a, we've got a national tournament this weekend um, with, I think there's eight teams involved in that through a, through a qualification process and a regionalised process. So we're fortunate to, enough to make the finals of that. And then we've also got another cup uh, competition programme that, again, we were fortunate to um, win on, on the weekend to, again, progress through to, um, I should know this, but I think I think it's the, the, quarter, it'd be the semi-final next um so i think this really had the quarter final round so we've got lots of lots of different programs which which give us and ultimately the players loads of different experiences of playing in front of bigger crowds playing in front of um you know in moments where where the result has a bit more of an impact and, and a bit more of an effect on on how we play and what we do and what we ask the players to do and what the players ask each other to do mid-game and how they might change and adapt and um i think both me and jermaine have said at various points today about talking about Tens and De Bruyne and Ericsson and those type of players that ultimately all of them are really adaptable to change roles under a new manager or playing a different position or playing a different league. Um, so all these experiences that the Premier League kind of create from a youth perspective are, are great for that. So it'll be lots of prep for that. Um, and then, yeah, keeping on with the analysis stuff and um, keeping busy as, as most, most coaches are at the minute. That's it for this week's episode, but if you are a coach yourself, you may be interested in our very own coach education platform, CV Academy. Aimed at coaches at all levels of the game, it helps them develop through premium, coach-focused content delivered by the growing network of elite academy and grassroots coaches. You'll find loads of great content on there, including our latest coaching webinar with Luton Town Head Coach Nathan Jones, who presents his two-phase plans made the Premier League. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast and we'll be back next week with more top-level coaches, analysing the biggest talking points in the elite game and sharing best coaching practices, advice and insights. If you want to join next week's CV Spaces Live, then drop us a follow on Twitter at Coach's Voice. A big thank you to our guest speakers, Sam and Jermaine, and thanks to everyone who listened.